we're back. Episode nine, the Cristo Series podcast. Um, we apologize for the delay. You know, we're sorry it took us so long to release this next episode, but we're going to get better at it. We're going to try and um, start getting regular with this content. And man, we got some crazy stuff going on. Yeah. First of all, I, one, apologize on my end as well. Uh, two busy, oh, I guess three busy schedules trying to come together to make this happen. Uh, the virus going on. So we are doing this podcast remotely. Um, Cody and Andre live in, in the middle of nowhere. I live in the middle of nowhere now. So if there's any cutouts or anything like that, there's nothing really we can do. So we apologize in advance and, uh, thanks for sticking with us on the long delay. Yeah. Well said. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, so just the first thing we want to yeah, do, I, I really wanted to uh, put a shout out. So what I've been doing here on the farm is uh, babysitting grandkids. Uh, my daughter's an RN nurse in Milwaukee. Um, she thought a safer place to be her daughter out here on the farm with us. And, um, at 120 pounds going in, uh, to the hospital with these infected patients with not the right equipment. Um, just proud as hell of it. And even our operations manager's boyfriend, significant other has just volunteered Brian Prost and is headed down to New York, the epicenter of this to, uh, save some life. So, uh, kind of makes us feel, you know, a little humble. A little small, uh, but there is a generation out there that um, is has got our back, and and let's do our part. Stay away, social distancing, and um, just do our part, whatever we can do. So, for sure, yeah, big big shout out to all the first responders and everybody in the medical field that's uh, on the front lines of all this. And you know, I personally, I've it's not really in our area yet, a little bit, but man, I can't imagine what it's like out in New York and people that are, uh, have more balls than us to be up there yeah. facing it face to face. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, another thing too, is, uh, you realize this, I just told Cody about it. Our, uh, our manufacturers are actually producing, uh, ventilators now for the government so they've switched over to tree stands <laughs> some of their other items and are uh, they're doing their part and they're in michigan and michigan is getting hit hard so these guys going into work uh we got pat and mark from dresco machine and we got uh um brad from the dangler guys they're they're doing their part man we appreciate it um we'll pick up this stand stuff uh, when this is all cleared for sure very cool very cool as we get into things here at this podcast episode, one thing that I'm pretty excited about, it was an, un un an unfortunate event that turned into a really cool event, and this is just the first thing I have on my notes list before we chop into thing things is, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen it, it's got a hundred, I think almost 103,000 views just here in a few weeks, um, the video of a coyote stealing Eric uh, for working class bow hunters, undercut, lone wolf custom gear, undercover trail camera, yanks it off the tree, off the ball socket, and takes off with it, and Eric had it on video the whole time. He found it by random while shed hunting, and we have everything on video. So we put that. It's on the custom gear page, on the working class page, and on our YouTube and stuff. So if you've been thinking about buying a trail camera that's tougher than hell, the undercover cam is uh, proved itself on that video there. So check that out. Awesome. I wouldn't even believe that if I wouldn't have seen it for myself, but um... – Unreal. Well, he thought some asshole stole it off the tree and just yanked it off the ball socket and took off with it. He's like, who would do that? Just unstrap it. <laughs> I, I remember we were talking about that, too, at the show. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I, you know, I think it might have been some, some shotgun hunters or something. He's like, they, they just they stole it. They took the whole thing. And I'm like, man, it just seemed weird, you know. And I, 
I was well, I was driving back from a show in Pennsylvania and I got like three text messages like, "Hey, call me, call me." I found out about my camera and I'm like, "Oh man, did he?" I'm thinking he got in a got in a scrap with some dude that stole his camera or something and turns out it was a coyote. So it was pretty nuts. Now you know where some of your uh, shed antlers go to. The little uh, bastards are out there stealing it all. Kill all the coyotes. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's a good story. Well, speaking, anyway, speaking of coyotes, man, we got hit. We got a lot of dead deer this year. Yeah, we got uh, some bruisers, too, that we were hoping to make it back the next year. Uh, got taken down. One of them uh, shed half his rack, and then we found him with the other half still on um, just recently. So, uh, yeah, we, I don't know. The big numbers are running around in a pack or something through the middle of the night. Boy, it, it's crazy. So You think they're all coyote kills, huh? I don't know what else it would be. Um, uh, they probably you know, might have been run down, might have been wounded or something, but they uh, something something finished them I, off, you know. I think a lot of times, whether or not they get injured in the season, or they're they're just ran down from from the rut and they're recouping or the winter. But one thing is a fact that even if they like you know got injured and gone, like the coyotes are finishing a lot of these deer off. Like, yeah. There's definitely the possibility that most of these deer could make it if they could just maybe just rest and hang out, but. These these coyotes get on their asses and they they run them down. So, um, they they can be pretty detrimental. Pretty big packs here too. So. For sure. For some reason, I think that is not not always an overlooked thing, but it seems like when you find a lot of dead deer, people go straight to disease now um, instead of coyotes. And I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my point of view on it. But um, I mean, bucks do get wore out, man. Sometimes the winter's hard on them. And- yeah, they're... we've talked about it. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but um, I've talked to some people that are into raising deer. And like when you really break it down and you think about it, the things that these deer have to make it through oh, to actually man. get big. Like, I mean, stupid things like a cracked hoof or, or a rack infection or just like like little things like that take these deer down. And, and yeah, there's just the laundry list of things for these deer to make it to that age to get that big and. And, you know, aside from hunters, and, and it's just nuts. I had a conversation with our local uh, law enforcement uh, warden around here, and he had mentioned the mortality rate of these deer is just, they're, they're so much, like you said, you know, whether it's getting hit by cars, wounded, just run down, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot for a deer to make it to four and a half, five and a half years old. So um, they truly are trophies when they get to that, that age class. Yeah, that is kind of cool to think about. Like, you know, on average, I'm sure the average deer just wants to be like a 140. So anything that gets older than three years old and bigger than 140 is kind of like not really a freak of nature. I don't know if that's the right term, but it's sort of an oddity because everything is after deer all the time. You know, they're they're food for almost everything. Cars, we want to kill them. So, yeah, to see a buck that hits that 150 plus mark is is kind of a cool thing, and I don't know if it's rare, but it's uh, probably uncommon if you look at percentages. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you start looking at things like, you know, like Boone and Crockett caliber deer and then, you know, like net net highest score, and, and then you get, like, just these these older – I mean, it, it's just crazy. Like, when you think about these six-, seven-year-old deer that are, you know, just giants and, and making it through there. But well, we do got a couple of sheds that uh, – Gives us a little twinkle for next year, so we're gonna we're excited yeah. about that. You know, they made it through, cool, cool, still alive, and, and uh, but it's one of those things too where you where you think about it like just because you grab a shed don't mean that deer's making it. Like right. there's it's such it's such a leap from now to the next season. And for years, like remember, I think a couple of years ago, I was like I, I said to Dad, I'm like, you know what, I'm 
I am done like hoping I'm done. Like I'm just, I, I'm done like just trying to be positive about it because it makes no sense. Yeah. I used to work myself up and I'd have these pictures and I'd be like, Oh man, he, he's going to be here next year. He made it through. Yeah. I got his sheds and they just disappear. They never show up. And then you end up getting like depressed about it or you're looking for him and he's dead and he died or he's not there. Or somebody killed him or somebody posted him or he got hit by a car or he died in velvet. And it's like, I made the you know assumption a couple of years ago. I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit what I have in the cameras, what I find for sheds. And like you said, we need real. to start killing the deer. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's you just, know, Kurt, you know, we got to, we manage and we pass up some dandy bucks hoping they'll have another year mm-hmm. and we'll be out shed hunting and we'll find these deer every year dead. They're, I mean, nice young bucks, but you know, big, big cages. And you just don't know, you don't, you don't know what, what did it. So, uh, um, we kind of take the assumption now that instead of letting them go to waste, you know, we'll start harvesting a few for this next show and some things of that nature, and then um, other others move in. So, um, and that's something I think we've always overlooked. And I know we're getting off on a tangent here on our, like introduction, but I think that's something we always overlooked is, and it's something that we don't capitalize on enough as like um, as just us personally and like our home farm and stuff is is just taking deer out like just to to cycle through genetics and in just population and like does we don't kill we don't really kill does you know and we're always after the the deer we're looking for so and we see an influx like when we get a year that we end up killing a few deer each and like my wife killed a good old buck the other year and then we had like a buddy come out and kill and all of a sudden you see like the next year you see this like this influx of all these awesome deer and like this bigger caliber. And you're like, it's not a coincidence. I think, right. I think it's important that you, you have to harvest some deer and, and we lose sight of that a lot. Like, um, well, one bully buck, we got rid of like three new bucks came in. They were a younger year class, but all had better cages and better scoring antlers mm-hmm. and getting him out or opened up the door. Now those three will probably shift around and one or two, maybe will stay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, kind of, um, uh, I think uh, Bill Winkie of Midwest Outdoors kind of t- coined the phrase bully bucks, and there are some bullies that you you don't want around. So, Doesn't it seem like bully bucks more common than not are like 125-inch old heavy-bodied eight-pointers? For some reason, that's like a trend I see. It's just that caliber of deer. Like the 125, 135 class bucks just bully everybody off, and it's just I think it's a thing. We've talked about that. Talked out on a pass. If you looked in the mirror and that's all the rack you had at like six and a half years old, you'd be pissed off, right? Wouldn't you? <laughs> that's a good point. I like that. Take actually. it on to somebody. Yeah. Like, dude, I'm si- yeah. I made it to six and a half years old and I'm 122 inches. What the hell dude, gives? I, I don't know, man. I think it's all chance though because I think it's temperament and I think oh, you got personalities because some bruisers, man. Yeah, there's been some. We've had some big deer on the farm that were super. I mean, like bullies but that were big bucks you know and, and but i i it is more often than not i seen i seen a really good buck a shooter buck last week of season that was getting just i mean i mean a he, bigger buck getting and oh no yeah he, yeah, he was get, yeah he was just getting i mean well bullied he was getting put in check constantly he couldn't even come out to the field to get to get any grub because and i'm looking at this deer that's pushing him around and i'm like oh my god like what <laughs> one swing of that thing's head and that that sucker would have been just down for the count but and you also get big rack deer that are timid but um i don't know it, it was kind of a it's kind just of a like side people topic, man but, if you break it down uh, deer aren't, aren't that different from us when it comes to that like temperament no. and, and just creatures of habit type of thing 
you can compare a lot. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. quick, before we go any deeper, sure. what I want to jump into, because I feel it's super necessary, is do a, uh, a manufacturing update on everything that's happened with the products right now that people might not know about. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good segue. So I guess the first thing we will start out with is um, I know a lot of you have been anticipating and waiting for the release of the uh, the new pocket arm, and we are pretty excited to say we just received um, the first production sample, and it looks it looks good. I mean, we are ready to perfect, man. Yep, yep. We are actually uh, this episode of the podcast is going to mark um, the release of of orders. We're opening up orders for the arms, um, as you can. As we've kind of talked about a little bit there, um, our facilities are busy doing a lot of stuff for the COVID and and um, uh, the kind of nationwide shutdown. So we will be shipping these as soon as um, that uh, those those things get lifted. But we are opening the orders. Uh, we look forward to getting these out to you guys as soon as we can. That's a that's something even over at Working Class Man that I've been getting messages about. Um, like people I know have been messaging the custom gear pages and us. People are jacked up about that camera arm. I'm excited about it. It's going to get me back into filming because it just, it streamlines things just with the 1.0 setup. I have, I can throw that camera arm right in my pocket, the pocket arm. And then boom, I'm, I'm filming like I used to all the time. So I'm excited to take the pain and the ass factor out of it. I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of guys are, or even people kind of in my circle and, and myself included, like, I've been kind of trending toward getting rid of the pack altogether and something like this with, you know, now, nowadays the cameras are so small, but smaller the pack, the smaller the gear. Yeah. Yeah, You can slip this in your vest or, I mean, even a tiny fanny pack is is perfect for all you, anything you need running and gunning as long as you're not, you know, out there for, for days or doing the all day sits. But, um, so yeah, we wanted to put that out there. We wanted to let everybody know, um, that it is open for orders and, um, we have a lot of people on the wait list for this, so we wanted to give you guys a, a first crack to go ahead and get your uh, um, get your name in the line and and get one of these things when they come off. We could talk about a few of the other things too. The uh, yeah, yeah, the so, new name, the name that we're going to yes, give to the small yes. stand. Along along with that, the next segue. Um, okay, so there's there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of things now when we. When we launched the new hang-on stand, uh, the custom gear hang-on stand, the smaller stand, we kind of didn't know what to call it. We asked some people. We did some We did some polls on the Internet. But, so we are officially announcing the name. The new stand is not the 2.0. <laughs> it is the DS5, or the DS.5. I'm sorry. I just I just screwed that up. The DS.5. The DS.5 is the new um, run-and-gun hang-on setup by Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Uh, very excited about that too. We've been doing a lot of testing with that. Yep, just tested last... it, so we got that approved. The final prints are approved, so that one's coming along um, pretty quickly here. Yeah, and um, that as well as um, the new double step is in the process of making its way to the the cut line, and and hopefully it won't be very long before we have that available as well but the next i'd say right after the arm which is going to be the ds.5 will be the next on the cut yep. line and, yep. then the, and then then the double sticks double stuff and then our hooks j hooks we're going to do uh yep um so we have uh, for all you guys waiting for the j hooks for your 1.0 setup and your sticks that you had um this year 
those are coming too. We will update you as soon as they, they get here. Those might even end up being a little sooner, but, um, another thing, you know, just to, just to talk about our new facility. Uh, we are very, very happy with our new facility. Um, the procedures and the manufacturing and we got a lot of cleanup going on on these um, stands and sticks and everything is looking very, very good. They're almost too perfect, Kurt. I gotta take a wrench <laughs> out and beat them up a little bit so they look yeah. used. Yeah, you might have to, you might have to drop this thing a couple times when it gets to your door so, um, so it doesn't <laughs> look that pretty. It's like those BMX and motocross guys when you get a nice new shiny helmet, you gotta drop it in the dirt one time. Yeah, exactly. It's ex- I couldn't have said uh, it better we, myself. We can't wait to drop these babies in the dirt this year. We're excited about all this new stuff. So, hell yeah, um, hell yeah. That, hey, you know, yeah, I got to so, add real quick. That's the stand name excites me a lot because that's something that I was pulling for from the get go. I don't know if you remember that or not, Cody. I'm like, dude, the point five is the perfect name for this thing. Come on, and right. we were just yeah. undecided, and then people were like. Oh yeah, the 2.0, the 2.0. I'm like, no, it's the point five. It's the point five. So, well, we we let you make that decision because you're great at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. So now, and we do down the road. Just want to let you know, there is going to be a larger stand coming out for the bigger boys. So that's not going to be until obviously the following year. But uh, we will have some prototypes out of that coming um, um, this fall. So, hey, can, yeah. So, can we have Steve from Working Class be the test dummy for that? Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. This will be. This will be a larger platform. Um, Still lightweight, but um, very lightweight. But we do have some different things going on in the seat department as well. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll post updates and, and we'll leak some information. But I like it, man. Anything to it all, or I like it. Well, do, um, should I dive so, into some questions? You guys ready for this, or you got something yeah, else? I mean, with that being said, like you know, we didn't. I know we kind of. Our previous episodes have had a had a running theme and, and kind of tactic and, and more uh, methodical, but we wanted to take this episode and just kind of dive into some topics that you guys wanted to hear from us. So we, we did a post a few weeks back asking um, uh, listeners and, and viewers uh, to submit their, their questions. So this episode is just going to be kind of diving into some of those. Um, and yeah, you got the list, Kurt. So yeah, and they get a, oh yeah. And they do anybody we, um, we talk, uh, that we call out their question is going to get a, uh, D series, the crystal series podcast, uh, the retro T in the mail, three ninety nine. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, I'll chip through and here's what we'll do. I'm as we go, I'm writing down, uh, your name. If you submitted a comment on the post we made uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I guess I, I can reach out to them directly, Cody, through the Custom Gear page and have them send the okay. information over. Um, yep, sizes. You get one shot at the size, guys. Don't uh, don't don't miss it, and then ask us to send another one. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is free here. You, don't take advantage of us. We're, we're losing money on this one. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm gonna jump around in this post a little bit. So, like Cody touched on. You know, this one's kind of a sporadic type of episode, a little bit of manufacturing update. So we're going to just chip through these kind of at random. Um, but there's going to be some consistency and more of a series as we move on with this. Hopefully this virus kicks over and uh, we can get yeah. back together and start chipping these out on a more regular basis. So just stay patient with us. And uh, just we got a lot of things uh, in the brainstorm notes that are going to be hitting this podcast. So I'm pretty excited for that. So first question Ryan Newberry. So he asks, when it comes to spring scouting, 
Are you looking for sheds, or are you pretty much scouting for the following season with, with sheds being the bonus? Reason I say this is because a lot of the big woods we hunt, the deer don't usually winter in the same areas we hunt them all, um, all fall. Thanks. Uh, I want to kick. I want to kick this one off. So that's a very good. So that point is something that I kind of wanted to make, and I was I was touching on with a few people as far as sheds goes. So everybody, I think, gets caught up, and a lot of these people with their antler endeavors is people are looking in their best spots. And they're they're scouting these these season spots and hoping to find antlers. And realistically, those deer ain't there. Like you have to. I, I mean, unless depending on your situation. But for the most part, these people don't aren't taking into account where those deer are wintering and like where to go look for those horns and the food sources at that point in time because that changes every year and it changes late in the year. So um, I would say like when, when I'm out in the spring, like and right now I'm, I'm looking for bones. So I'm looking in spots that I knew those deer were um, toward that January, February time and where I think they were dropping their horns. And that's all I'm looking for. That's fair. Food, food, food. It's all about food. So, um, like you said, where they're wintering, uh, where they're feeding, where they're at when them racks come off, that's where you got to be looking. Um, so I hunted years ago, the upper uh, Northwest Big Woods, and just because I never held any um, um, gravity about uh, sheds being found because our hunting areas, literally the deer wintered 10 miles from there in big cedar swamps. So um, now to take it down to this farm country we're in now, we have a lot of food crops put in, a lot of cover on our property. So we actually harbor a lot of neighbors' ground. We'll get deer coming in from three miles, four miles in a, in a bad winter, and we'll find some of those sheds. With the cameras we have and what we do, we kind of know what deer are our home bodies and ones as we haven't seen before. So we'll get some of those sheds, and we know we're not going to see those deer probably during the season. Uh, but it's fun to look um, for them, so... And that's the thing. Some years, you know, even even look at a farm setup like we have. Like, you know, we have our homebody deer and we have, um, you know, there's things you can expect. But I know, for instance, I think it was last year. I think it was – it might have been last year or a year before. We had a super unseasonably warm December. and Or actually, we had a cold early December. And then it we had a hard uh, – a really a serious thaw. And then into all of January was like super mild temps. And – there wasn't a shed to be found on our cover and our thick cedars and like you know, on the rims of our food that we normally find uh, sheds. They were out in these open egg, uh, like uh, hay strips. And so even on a private farm, you just have to be mindful of where those deer were. And I know that year, I know personally, a lot of people weren't that successful in harvesting deer late season because they get in the same ru- uh, routine of sitting over these food sources. And if it's too warm and they're not hitting those food sources... That's not where they're at. So mm-hmm. now maybe we can address. I think uh, his, part of his question was too, as far as scouting. I think he meant like scouting as far as for deer hunting the next y- yeah. year. Yep, yep, yep. And I've never been one to hunt over a year old sign. Uh, you know me; it's like daily scout, scout hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is nice, and what I've been enjoying about this shed hunting is, let's say you got an area you don't know exactly where. Bucks at, but you got to draw, and these these big bucks will come out of there. You know they're bedding back in there somewhere, and you just leave that alone. You don't need to go there. You already you already know where they're at. It's nice to go this time of year though, and literally go back there and see exactly where that buck was bedding, 
And I'll tell you, some of these, we got these 40-foot, 60-foot uh, cliffs. These deer are like goats. Some of them will get up on these little shelves, and there is no way you will shoot a buck like that in his bed in the morning um, because it's just it's just too treacherous back there. So you get them on the way in and out, and uh, it, we're learning a lot. We've been in spots I haven't even known we had on this farm, to tell you the truth. Well, it's weird, too, when you think about it because I don't think people – well, depending on where you're hunting, but – and we're in an area, Iowa, that is particularly, it's not as bluffy as northeast, like, like, but it is in, in some areas, and our farm in particular has some, some serious bluffs. Um, and it is crazy how goat-like some of these deer are, and they're, and they're coming You on guys are kind of in the start of what I consider being the, the small sliver of the driftless area in Iowa. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, what is? Um, I failed geometry. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I'm, you know what I mean by that? I don't. No, I don't. You know how Wisconsin? God, come on, guys. In yeah, Wisconsin- I know all. The, yep, yep. So the, uh, the evolution of the whole uh, landscape here. I started out hunting <laughs> Iowa in southern Iowa, flat, completely flat, little bit of creek bottoms, and uh, when I came to here, this almost looks like Elmakee County in the middle of uh, a lot of flat ground. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's well because we're we're very close to the river too, so we get a lot of that structure, and, and you get just forty minutes north of us, and there's some serious bluffs, so we got some of that. But yeah, it is cool. So I guess to sum it up, and I mean, you know, I'm never not, and you know, we're never not looking for deer sign. You're always going to pay attention, but if it's about specifically seeking antlers, like, and you're in a big wood setting, and you know where those deer are wintering, and you know it's te- like that's a different story. But if you're just trying to get some information um in the spring about your next season and just to that's to, what i think he was yeah and learning. then and then like you said it's always a good idea to just uh, learn your property inside and out every little nook and cranny and then uh, address him too so this might uh, go to somebody else if i'm going to be scouting for next year for signing a property it's going to be a new property i've never been on before then i'm going to go in the spring and i just well, want to run it ragged and, and just learn it inside now you know and i think i think too like a little thing that people don't realize but in a way it's it is scouting and it's going to help you a lot but like you you just said about nooks and crannies like just walking the ground you put your feet on that ground and then next year let's say you get in a situation and you spot a deer you can pull back that memory of not what the sign looked like in that that spot but what the ground like what was actually how the ground laid out, what you think the thermals will do then. You can start putting the pieces together, and you at least know what you're working with instead of having to go in there. And and, and trails, too. Okay, so here's another thing. And, and obviously these trails aren't the same as during the season with some of them. You can see in certain areas how the deer travel through there plain yeah. as day. Which Prime, is, primary trails. Yeah, so know. some uh, um, – you know, some of these trails that we've seen and this year, are, are I've never seen them it, like that before, straight up a sheer cliff. Duh. Well, and that's the thing. You, you're going to have, I think, you have you have pinches and you have areas on, on any piece of property. There's going to be areas that are more frequently traveled by deer. There's a path of least resistance or whatever that may be. But there is new shit that lights up every year. Um, and it's just the same reason why some rut stands are just, they're great stands every year. I mean, if right. you've got... If you got two freaking lakes pinching down to one trail, well, I mean, well, here's a good example. So, you can't figure that out. So our center <laughs> solid crop. We'll have Tommy come over and hit him in the head with a tack hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so Kurt, I think you've seen some of our stuff here. Our center is just solid crops, okay? And you got a thicket uh, and all the timber to right in one draw, and then all the way across, you got another. Right now, there are trails that go. 
the woods to the other across the egg that are just beat and you can see them. And during the season when the beans are in and it's green and all that, those trails are just not visible at that time. So right. um, there's things like that you can pick up, you know, and um, and just like you said, put in the bank, bank of your head there and, and just remember that uh, those deer are traveling across there all year. For sure. Andre, one thing I remember when uh, we're talking about just scouting in general, and you, you early on when we started answering Ryan's question, um, I rem- it reminded me of something that you told me when I started coming over more frequently and we started firing up the podcast series where and, and you were kind of like, just wait, you know, hanging out here, you're going to learn a lot. You know, you go from seeing sign that's a couple weeks old and then you realize where sign's at day by day and then you learn how to get in front of that sign to where you're where th- – you're where that buck is going to make the sign, and that's where you kill him. And you said, hanging out with me, you're going to learn that. And that's one thing, for some reason, having that conversation with you, just kind of like that engraved in my brain of that's one of the the Quisto things that I'm going to learn by just spending time with you guys. You know, it's, it's kind of just that being around people that you look up to in the whitetail game are going to just kind of like their knowledge is going to feed off of them to you without even you even realizing it over time. So it was just kind of cool. You saying that I just remember like, yeah, man, I had, I'm definitely not even close to being to that level. So there's just a level of fascination with your guys' deer knowledge. It just, no, I appreciate that. So we're, we're, what we really like and excited about is the stories we heard this year of guys who tuned into the podcast listening to something Cody said, took something that I said and you said, and they put it in the field and they scored big. And now we've created some monsters. These guys are going to be your next big successful hunters. Cause they've, they've uh, got it in their head now. Um, I want, yeah, I want to say that too. Yeah. Th- thanks for anybody that came up to me at the show or, or dad or, or, or told us their stories because it is really cool to see and to hear people that, that, you know, are are good hunters and they're in good spots and and or even not as good spots but they're just taking a taking our perspective and tweaking their game game plan a little bit and they're having a lot of success and it's it's really cool to see people um you know getting some good deer down and using the new equipment like it's just awesome man Here, here's a quick story for you kurt there's a guy who hunted uh two years into his hunting deal listen and he heard cody about how low that he hunts sometimes <laughs> this kid Went to a water hole with no trees around her, and when he he said to himself, you know, well, Cody shoots some more, and he got on a stand or in a tree that didn't even take a stick, and killed a freaking bruiser in, in Illinois. And who in her right mind, even a seasoned guy, would have the balls to to go for it and do that? You know, so um, he learned it right, and he's uh, I'm I, sure he's going to be successful here on in with some of the stuff he does. So yeah, I think. I talked to a couple guys that actually I was surprised at how I can think of probably at least five or six people that I talked to just at the last couple consumer shows that tried it and killed deer um, no higher than two sticks. And then I talked to a few people that are like, dude, I'm, I'm trying it next year. And they're just so I'm it's and cool. again, you know, that's not their spots in like Pennsylvania, the mountains and all that. The guys, they got to hunt higher. And we understand that it's just a. Uh, and we got tactics for that. We got, we're going to have an old show on that, uh, how high, how low to hunt. So um, you learn some of them tactics. But, yeah, um, and, and that's all situational, too. It's like I, I also get those guys who will see me, you know, I'll, I'll make a post and I'll have, 
you know, or of a stand setup that there's four sticks and a couple of screwing. And they're like, oh, I got you. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I knew it. I knew you ain't killing deer low. And I'm like, well, you know, this. Well, there was a balloon stuck hey, in a tree hey, I was just trying to get. So. <laughs> yeah, that mylar balloon out there. You can see it from a distance <laughs> shining. <laughs> hey, while, while you're talking about that, I want to get to this. Uh, this is a listener question and uh, a good friend. Um, Gene Miller said, I would love to hear more about your strategy on when you decide to hunt high or low. How do you get to the decision that determines if you hunt with two sticks or four plus to get high based on terrain and when love the show. Thanks. Gene, first of all, thank you, Gene. Uh, you just got yourself a free shirt. No, yeah, Gene's a good dude, man. Gene, um, I've met him. I've had the pleasure to talk with him multiple times. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, Kicking it off, or? I guess so. It's weird because on this on this subject, I look back at a couple at, at stands that I was, and I think this is one of those things where, as you kind of season yourself as a hunter, you can be okay with that. And I I kind of link this as to like the poundage ordeal, and like maybe like you know a lot of guys wanting to pull back ninety pounds just to pull back ninety pounds, like hunting whitetail and. <laughs> Um, like, but I guess what I'm getting at is early on, I think I fell into the trap of needing to be higher in a tree or wanting to be higher in a tree for some reason. So I, I live find, in that trap, Cody. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. So like now I look at it as this, like every setup that I'm looking at, I want to be as low as I can. So it's like, it's like there's optimally I can be at like eight feet right now there's if the situation i use a process of elimination so it's almost like um my optimal height is going to be that couple sticks that that eight to ten feet if the situation allows for it and i have more cover and i can get lower um i'll do it if i need to beat thermals like if it's a morning set and i got lay the land uh, so i guess the higher i get now is going to either be to reach a point in the tree that's going to give me a, a big benefit, like a huge crotch with a bunch of different splits coming off of it, like just somewhere I can get tucked in and be invincible. Or um, the thermals is definitely a big thing, and the wind. Like, you know, if you can't – there's a lot of times these low sets you can't get away with, and um, I think that's probably my – I guess I just – I'm always shooting to be as low as I possibly can, and then when something dictates that I need to get higher, like thermals or wind direction or cover – um or time of year i guess because yeah, the, the you later the later it gets the lower you got to start coming because it's it just, just watch you like you're a sore thumb there so you gotta remember there's a bunch of other guys hunting around uh they're all hunting high maybe spooking some deer and uh and putting pressure on them and they get kind of accustomed to that so out of sight out of mind um me too same thing uh it's it's you know each situation is different it's about scent control it's about vision of a deer um it's about how far you want your your scent to carry you, carry. And I I always uh, equate it to this. I I don't just get downwind of a, a trail. I ask myself where would I love my scent to go, end up. And if I'm in a bottom in a in a you know in a morning and I don't want scent building up and down there, I want the thermal self in it. I and I'll tell you, I've had stands that are literally 30 feet in some areas. And you just check, you check with your wind bottle all the way up a tree and you will be surprised of what just a couple extra feet high it will do or a couple extra feet low. I've had hurricane winds hitting me in the face, uh, thinking I'm in the right deal. And then you watch that, that, uh, that scent bottle go and it'll go 
you know, 10 feet behind you, and all of a sudden it'll drop to a point that'll rip right underneath your stand and back out the field edge. So, um, so it's it's some scary stuff, and you got you just play it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and I I think like and that even ties back to that scouting thing too. So, like let's say you know you're putting boots on the ground and you get in this situation, and and I guess understanding thermals and and what wind does in a general sense is always going to play at that. So like as you as you start to hunt more and just set stands in the tree stand at, at any height, a lot of this stuff comes with time. Like, you know, so somebody who just starts hunting might not go into a bottom and look at like a this big banking ridge to the right of them and then like this creek that's running through uh, that even drops lower and is going to know that the thermals are going to be drawn, you know, by this water and down to the low spot. Like in the, like, so these, these little things they might not know. So uh, understanding the spot, like, I remember I, I did a, and I had a conversation. You want to add something? No, I'm going to elaborate on that one. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with a guy um, who seen one of my posts, and it was a post, and I had, like, it was literally, it was six sticks high with, like, three screw-ins, and he tried to bust me out. And I'm like, dude, it, and I showed him the aerial on the top of where that stand was at, and it was so down deep in the bottom that typically we don't, I, a lot yeah. of times I don't even mess with hunting that low because you can't, like, you can't beat, the wind you can't beat the thermals but i knew i was like okay i i might have a i might have a sliver of a chance if i get so damn high in this in this bluff so i literally had to get i had to get all the way up to where i was just over where everything flattened even it out and i was like you said one stick was the difference between my my thermals carrying up in the morning versus getting sucked back down so it was one of those things where yeah, you might reach the sun on the top of the bridge a little bit higher, and it's still, you know, shady down below. And uh, uh, people don't realize that it's just not an up and down. It's got to do with it. even on flat surface swamps that I hundred years in the past, you can sit on a field edge and thermals are raising to almost sundown, and you can be back in the timber and an hour and a half before the sundown even there, they're they're dropping. So it's you just play all of that stuff and um, well, put your scent where you want it to be and and. and an ambush and that particular thing even goes into you can even go into more depth like i'll have like to where you're talking um i'll have late morning spots to where like you know that you can get out of that like that high spot i know i'm literally there is nothing uh like as far as you can see on the east as soon as that sun is cracking that horizon like I'm getting an extreme lift there. I'm way high up. Like even deer that are eye level with me on the bank have no idea I'm there. Now, if it's an overcast day though and it's shitty, and like, um, but as soon as I, I've noticed, as soon as like nine o'clock hits, that spot is shot. Like you know, I, I you know mean, it's weird too, Kurt. There'll be a day where the wind is only like five miles an hour, mm-hmm. and I'll be on a hillside, and the thermals are probably fifteen miles an hour, blasting me in the face like a, just a. a uh, a furnace just blowing blowing air right up the up the hillside. So there's some sweet spots that, uh, and I mentioned that to a customer today I was talking to. When you start playing this and start learning this wind direction in your tree stand setup, there is nothing more empowering than being in a setup with a good buck and knowing you are invincible, that you are not going to get winded. Um, it's just, it's part of that game, man. It, it, that really just lights you up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the next, it's the next level of things. I, I've mentioned it before. I don't know if I mentioned it on the DeQuisto series or on working class. Uh, we had a guest, a good friend, Clark Cummings. We did a podcast and we got on the subject of wind 
And I always felt that I knew how to work wind and there's always more to learn. I still have more to learn and and I'll openly admit that. But he said a few things on there about quartering winds and some thermals that really woke me up on how to just observe how deer use the wind and how terrain affects wind. And I feel like since that podcast, I've been way more consistent in uh, killing bucks. You know, it's just it's. Uh, there's always more to learn with it. And with every setup, there's always something you need to know about that specific tree, that specific hill, the bluff, whatever it may be. Here's another point that we can go back. uh, I don't want to go back to the last question, but with this uh, early season scouting. So you got your own property and you got spots that your hunt are usually traditionally pretty good at a certain time. There is a great time a year to go in there. And whenever it wins a certain way, go in there and test that win and see what it does in there. You know, it's weird. I I use my scent checking bottle more in a non-season than I do during a season. It's I already know what it does there. I don't have to monitor it, but to learn it is is where you you know is is and, where it comes into effect. So. And honestly, I that brings up a good point. It I am shocked at how many people I talk to that aren't using a good wind indicating device like the, or that don't. That, I just don't pay attention to wind at all. Honestly. Well, there's a lot of people that do. But they don't take it to the to the point where they're checking it in that spot. They might look at their phone and be conscious of the way that the wind's going. But yeah, yeah. really, like, having that unit that you can literally see what is going on, and then not only just the wind direction at that time, but the thermal takeover, which is where your your milkweed and stuff comes into play. So it can be, it can be super helpful. And, and, and if you're on top of a bed in the morning, you're setting up usually – a guy's going to think that you got, you're wrong for the win and you know, you need to almost be wrong for it on a morning post coming right into a bed. So that's the uh, next thing I was going to bring up. Do do you feel that a lot of times for big mature bucks, a lot of times you're playing, you're on the edge of what could be considered a risky move with wind or thermal or something like that. See, but when you, if you think about it though, if you really think about it and everybody, like I get this a lot too. And it's not, it's not it's it's not in any way the wrong wind because that's exactly right. what you need your wind to be doing. Like you know, so it's not yeah. risky. That's what you're planning. It's tactical. You're doing it for a reason. So people are like, Oh, you're hunting on the wrong wind. So that's like, well no, I'm hunting it on the fucking You just gotta be on the right edge when he exactly. loops in, make sure you're on the right right side of that so it's edge. And you'll see some of them in them videos of white tail addictions. These deer just, get down around and really are looping it wide and just about catching okay. your scent. Can I throw I this in? Let me throw this in. Is it fair to not. say is it, <laughs> is, is it fair to say the wind is right for you and the wind is right for the deer? Yes. The, the I mean the wind is right for the deer. The wind is right, definitely right for you, but it's got to be yeah. right for the deer for it to be the right wind for you though at the same time, right? Uh, and most yeah, cases, you are such on a it's such a such a sliver there that um um, like I said, it's a matter of picking the right, uh, knowing which way he's going to loop in uh, to go to his bed. Uh, if you're on that wrong side of that, you're you're cracked. And, you know, so. and that's another thing. I, that's another thing I was going to bring up. So, is you get the wind, you, you know, you start to understand that concept, and you find a spot. You really need to take your time and analyze that spot to where you think the deer is going to come from, like because like so. It gets it gets so granular in setups like this of, of of having an idea and really being able to read that and have a have an understanding of that because a lot of people screw up because they get in these spots and they're hunting it with like sort of like what they think is right and they find there's so many people out there that I guess that I'm saying are finding the spot 
but they're fucking up when they set up. And these deer, they think that these deer are well, cracking them before they even get there. Yeah. But let me throw something real quick before you chime in. If anybody wants to see the perfect example of of playing wind and like deer coming in and, and circling through the like that whitetail addictions episode of the tuning fork buck mm. that's been recently launched on the custom gear page that Flyer buck too well yeah the fire buck's a good one but i think in the video yeah and you can really you can really visualize and you can see this bedding area like dad did a really good job he was panned all the way back and um you can see this bedding area it's an established bedding area with this this buck's beds and if you know now, I mean, I think you can get a pretty good idea, but like that, that wind is coming through that bedding area. This buck loops down and he checks this bedding area and he comes in right at the, like you were on the perfect edge. Like, yeah, if they would have seen a lot of raw footage where that, that deer literally was coming straight into it. And then it was kind of like wanting to dip down even a little further. And I was like, but, man, this thing's got a couple more steps but, and he's going to get my ass. And then he went up to the bed. So, but he, but he actually couldn't too. Like, right. Where, well, like, like, yeah. you, he was, he was, See, and that's what people don't see on the video. But if you if you could ravine, if you could see the tree and you could see the ravine that was coming over there, Dad knew that he was as far possible as he could get to entrance that that bedding area. But that deer couldn't break him. So if you really seen like if we could draw lines on a whiteboard, or if we could like draw lines on that video, and you seen where the wind was going and where that deer was standing, busting shit up, like it, it was. I mean, it it, it was like it, it was perfect. So intense, and, brother, intense. And that was a two hundred inch typical deer. So I mean, like, and, and that was a ten yard shot. So um, oh come on, it was at least eighteen. Was it that? No, it wasn't that far. Um, but anyway, <laughs> if you haven't seen that, go watch that video because it's it's insane. So um, so what about the. Uh, are we getting? To, are we gonna get into yeah, that? let me let me get let me get to a couple more people before we yeah, uh, just for time's sake. This forever. Uh, this question I like a lot because it's a little out of what we talk about on this show. Um, Jesse uh, Laughlin, uh, Lawlin, um, he said, "Do you ever feel pressured to perform in the woods, being a well-known name in the outdoor industry? And if so, does it impact the way you make decisions while hunting?" There's a yes, big yes there, and a big, big no. So I've never let um, the pressure of anybody else weigh on my shoulders, but I am a hunter, and, and I have goals to set. And being in the industry, um, I think there was only one time in my life that I didn't come up with a decent buck uh, in a year and uh, actually end up shooting a nice buck. Um, so I hunted with her, but... It was a long, long show circuit <laughs> to be running around with uh, nothing under the belt. So that way wise, and then I, I need a tag a hundred times over if if I'm I'm looking for a, a big deer. That's where Whitetail Addictions, uh, when it originally came in, you know, I kind of told the producers, don't count on me for a bunch of deer in a season. I'm going to get stuck in one spot on one deer, and you might not get anything out of me. So we had to rely on our customers to come up with kills and. Uh, it really turned out to be a good storyline, but um, yeah, the pressure I put on myself is is more through the animal. I really don't give a shit what anybody else thinks about uh, uh, if I come up and I don't come up with a deer or not. Um, there's plenty of opportunities if if a guy wants to to harvest a deer. So, uh, yeah, I mean that was I would probably as far as I would probably say that it's it's a little of the same. Um, it's more so my i think 
like you kind of said, you know, I, I put the pressure on myself. Like it, it, it's my competitive nature. It's me wanting something so bad that sometimes I do want things a little too bad and I start to burn myself out. I don't think it makes, you know, I find my worst seasons, it doesn't affect my like decisions getting on these deer. Sometimes like I can rush some things and I can mess some stuff up, but like, that's the big thing where it, at the end, like you'll it's, rush it's, a shot or something or it's the, it's the last, it's literally that, that last step over the goal line. Like it, it it's, it's, you know, but and here's the thing though. Oh, sorry to cut you off, but we really can't, you can't force that deal. You're just going to make a mistake. It's like, you know, the pressure's on, but you still got to come at it in a controlled deal. Cause I remember your early on in my careers with that, you know, I, man, I just got to get a, an arrow on a deer. You get that mentality. It's like, it's, you're running out of time and all that. You know what ends up happening? You just end up getting an arrow on a deer and it ain't a dead deer. So you and just got to be able to just, man, be patient. And um, that's, that's actually, that brings up a good point. It's one thing that I have a lot of pressure that I always remember is I remember you saying that because, and it does make a difference because that's a, and that's a very, I want to re-say that because like you said, these guys, and I hear, I hear buddies say, and I always try and, I always try and reel them in from that. And even though sometimes I fall into that myself is you hear so many people, I just got to get an arrow and a deer. I just got to do that. And then like dad said, that's all they do is they freaking end up wounding a deer or just getting a half-ass shot at it. You got to, you got to have your head in the game. So that's cool to think about. And that's a good saying, but, um, it's, yeah, with me, it's more so on myself and, um, but isn't, I, a, isn't the pressure part of this game? Isn't that what yeah, lights so us up, man? It's, it is. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I don't think there's ever a pressure to conform with deer, but that's like, like a good point you made. Like so many people are out there trying to jump, trying to buy six tags and jump from state to state and just, Oh, I, well, I'm going to hit this piece of public and, and just, I'm going to go shoot And they end up just going to, sh- they just shoot a deer. I mean, I guess yeah. if that's, and the deer are, they might have, you know, 20 bigger deer than that. And it's just, it's never what I've, I didn't come up that way watching dad. And it's never what I've been about. I don't want to kill deer just to kill deer. So, I got personal goals. So I know a lot of guys in this industry coming up, sold them stands throughout the year. They're really good, really good top notch hunters. I mean, not known to the public, just, you know, your average guy that just hunts, works for a living is just knocking some big shit down. And I remember the one guy I was a little, oh man, I didn't, I'm two years without a, without a buck. And I told, like, I looked him right in the eye and I said, dude, if you never shot another buck in your entire life, there's going to be a lot of guys that ain't going to catch up or be anywhere you're at. So forget about that part of it. Uh, you're setting some big goals for yourself. You're going to end up sometimes with, uh, with nothing, what none on that tag. That's just part of the game. And that's, that's how you step her up and that's how you get to the next level. So. Um, for sure. And that's for us, you know, that's not for everybody, you know, um, guys got a week to hunt, wants to harvest the deer, loves the, the meat, loves to eat it. Um, a good trophy. He'll back up a couple five, five, you know, inches less than a deer he shot last year. He's happy with it. Hey man, knock yourself out and, uh, uh, just enjoy it. You know, for sure. For sure. All right. Let's, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if, go ahead, I didn't go really know if he was, talking, I didn't really understand, or I don't know if he's talking about, because there's two ways you can look at that too. Like you start making, letting that affect your decision making. Is that decision making on what caliber of deer to shoot, or like how you're hunting? Like if you're rushing things, you're not being as patient. Or, but either way, I guess it. it, it well, works and then there's a pressure too that you know, we know you're running out of time. You know? Oh yeah, like this but, year too. But like, honestly, I think I actually like that pressure because I feel like I don't. 
in some in some ways there's like a you feel a little relaxed when you know you have two months to kill a deer and then like i'm i mean i've killed quite a few deer in the last three four days of season and it's like one of those things where like you just know like oh shit like i I gotta i got (laughs) like i gotta make moves i gotta get Mm-hmm. Like I was mobile before, but like you know, when you see Cody ripping by the front of here with an ATV with like three different stands on his back and freaking backing up and down, I said, oh, "Some shit's gonna die pretty quick here." <laughs> well, I don't know if Jesse was including me in this question, but I'll answer it quickly because <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm as well known in the industry at all, or even a, a fraction of what it is. But I personally, I being a, just a straight up podcaster, I think struggles and being honest about things I'm going throughout the season on the podcast makes for a better show and a more relatable in tune with our listener show. So the pressure doesn't bother me. It probably helps the show in the long run, but um, I mean, I have like mental pressure on yourself is what makes you do things. Right. So. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like again, it's a sport. You can't, you can't rush. There's nothing you can do. I don't care if the pressure mounts on you. You can't, you know what I mean? It's like uh, from going from elk hunting to come back whitetail hunting. Man, put the brakes on, get back. You just cannot be that aggressive. You gotta. It's got to be a controlled deal. And if you run out of time toward the end, you run out of time. But you just gotta. You know, you gotta stay on it and and, and keep with it. So um, for sure, for sure. All right, let's. I want to get. I want to hit a couple more of these uh, questions quick. Um, let's. Let me. Let me transfer into here and get a couple more up real fast. Hold on. Okay, so. Next question. I thought this was a kind of a cool, um, cool angle of a question. Dominic Sheets asks, if you see a buck do something, do you immediately set up on him hoping he does the same thing? Or do you wait to see if he does it a second time before making your move? Pounce, brother. Pounce. That simple, huh? Yeah. Well, what what are you going to wait around for? If you're going to make a move on him, you're going to make it right away. And, um, these deer will do a couple things uh, consistent, and then they get bumped off their pattern and do something different. You got to capture sign while it's happening as uh, as close to it as you can, you know. Um, so I would never sit around and wait. I mean, if it's the deer you want, obviously you're gonna you're gonna jump all over it. For sure. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, cut and dry. That's. I mean, if that doesn't tell you what you need to know there, I don't know what else does. Um, let me see here. We're kind of going through these on the on the go, like randomly picking them, just to show you that we uh, we didn't pick favorites here. What, what uh, was the last listener that had that question? What was the last listener? Sheets. Sheets. Hey, sheets. You get a half a t-shirt. <laughs> half a t. Yeah, you get a uh, you get a, a sleeveless sh- a tank top. A Cody shirt. <laughs> yeah, Cody belly shirt coming at you. Um, did you want to elaborate on it? Oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Kurt. Thanks for letting me answer that question as well. <laughs> but you, you were like, nope, that's all. That's it. Get on them. <laughs> well, what do you think, Kurt? I mean, yeah. uh, you wait around or you make the move with that portable? You, you, you slide over and you get in the game or do you sit and watch uh, from the, you know, cheap seats or something? I definitely think that if it's the buck you want, yeah, you'd be dumb not to make the move because. You I think th- you made a move on a buck this year, didn't you? Yep, exactly. Yep. 
just that. He I mean, did one thing, went in the next day, and made the move and killed him. So it's uh, it is, you know, you got to strike while he's there. If you know he's in that area, why would you wait around for three, four days? And hopefully he's still there. You know, it's you. What I like about doing that is you eliminate the shoulda, woulda, coulda factor in your brain mentally. Because if you constantly wait, if you're too lazy to just dive in, that's just going to eat you alive mentally, and you're going to lose confidence in what you're doing. Here's, What's the worst that could happen? Here's the thing. I, <laughs> right. I was just about to say, here's the thing. You move on that buck, and the worst that can happen is you're in the same exact position you were yesterday. Like, I I mean, or the, the sit before. Like, either you're going to get on him or he's going to be doing yeah, something else. Yeah, you're going to crack or you don't. Yeah, yeah. so that's it. It's, it's, it's some people, yeah, just don't overthink it. Yeah. For sure. Well, um, let's see where we're at here. Um this is kind of a cool one, kind of loaded. So I'd say let's just ask it how we can. Uh, Robbie Crocker, he says, I would like to hear your thoughts on calling, grunting, rattling, etc. during pre-rut, rut, and post-rut. Your thoughts on doing it or not doing it? <laughs> this is you know, in years past, I just say throw the grunt call out. Um, early in my career, I never had real success with grunts, and I had friends. The guy could see a freaking deer and lay on a grunt and end up under his stand, and I'd lay on a grunt and they'd freaking turn around and run. So I don't know if my vocals were too low or what it was. I have jagged grunt. Matter of fact, this year, um, I don't know who told me. Did you tell me you were having success with grunting and stuff? No. I, I so somebody was, you know, so I started messing around with some of these uh, bucks that were not uh, heading a different rate. And dude, I turned some of them around and they ended up right under the stand. Um, I, but you know, from years past, I'm more of a lay low, no rattling, no sense, no complete and utter surprise. Mess the whole property up, find your virgin sit, and then at that point, it's uh, you know complete and utter surprise attack. So um, I could take it, I can leave it. Um, I suppose if a 190s, you know, heading the other direction, ain't nothing wrong with laying on a grunt. Yeah, <laughs> I'm turning around maybe here. Or the shot. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I'd have to say. You like, carry a grunt to it, but sure. No, not anymore. You Never. Uh, so I've I carried a grunt tube for a couple years. Um, so actually, so I carried a grunt tube for about. Well, let me start off by saying that I was always told, "Don't fucking carry a grunt tube. Don't you be fucking rattling. Don't you be fucking. <laughs> what are when you heard that from? <laughs> so I mean, like that. That was kind of how I how I came up, you know, and and. And me being uh, or the rebellious side of me is like, well, screw that. I'm going to try. I want to, you know, all these these guys on fucking TV are rattling these giant bucks. You know, let me try it. It was a disaster. Um, so <laughs> it, it's no, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody that's had success with grunting and rattling because there is a knack to it. I don't know it. Um, so Some what I find. At- so what I find, I'll use. So I had a grunt tube in my in my pack for like two years, never took it out, and then one year I took it out quite often and just screwed up a lot of opportunities that I could have killed deer. I I, I know it. I I know in my head that I I was premature on grunting. I, there was there was a couple times I was like, oh man, okay, let me take out this. And this is bad timing, but like I'd take out just to do a couple of blind grunts and I'd scare deer away, or I'd try and get deer to come in and they wouldn't re- respond to the grunt, and it was just a. It, it was one thing. It's like, it's like being like this tactical situation, like you said, right? You're giving away your, you're yeah. giving away your position. Like, why would it, it, it's like a, a sniper going out there and like trying to, 
you know, like, like, like call his freaking target out into the open. And <laughs> you, you're, you know, you're, you're literally telling the deer where you're at. So here's, here's what's let me weird. keep going. I'm okay, not done. Right, Mr. Cut, Mr. cut Mr. him off. Fucking interrupter. <laughs> Jeez. All right. All right. So you're giving away, you're giving away your position. Um, anyway, so then I, I used it for a year and I, I immediately got rid of it. Now, um, so grunting, I don't do anything like that. Um, even stopping deer, every deer I've ever stopped, I've missed. I will, I will come out and say that. Shoot him on the move. I, I have, uh, and I'm I'm not lying. And I and I've missed I've missed I've missed a few deer. And and every single time that I have tried to stop. Now I don't know if that's something in my head that me making a vocal with my mouth and then lining up for my shot is uh, something I don't practice or it doesn't work. But every time I've missed them, so I don't do that. Um, now rattling, I've rattled in bucks. I've never rattled in a big buck though. Um, I don't know if that has anything to say. Like if, if I've rattled in some 125 inch, like mm-hmm. some, some Pope and young type bucks that came right in. But then again, they knew exactly where I was at and I'd have to shoot them right away. Otherwise they were, otherwise they, I heard you that morning rattling those during. Well, I actually, a buddy <laughs> when, when what's his name was out here, I'm thinking like, Oh, I want to give him a, cause I know rattling does bring stuff in, but I've never had it bring good ones in and, and Kirk, um, the buck I was after just got up out of his bed and was heading my way, and I heard Cody rattle and fucking locked up like a motherfucker, and then was like, <laughs> oh, did not come down the hill. I'm like, son of a fucking bitch. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry about the uh, language here. Yeah, people are used. So to here's it. the point, though. Now, and you've been in this situation. I know, and I've seen some of your video. And years ago, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, I got these spots that are hot. I'm sitting there. I got the wind in my favor. I'm invincible. I got two bucks under my stand sparring. I got grunting going on, a buck shagging around a doe. I'm doing all of this natural vocals. I'm like, why would I want to mess around with grunting and rattling when I got the real freaking McCoy right under my freaking stand doing it for me? Um, now, there was a situation that I should have capitalized on with that bully buck that was on our property one year. Uh, I was clearing out a, uh, there was a couple branches in a stand I got into, um, and I snapped one, and this thing was down in a draw and went nuts. I didn't have the balls to continue that, and I think if I would have, I think that thing would have charged up that hill at me, and uh, I'd have got a crack at him. I could have ended up shooting many, long story short. But uh, so there are times, and I'm going to tell you, I know some guys who rattle in deer, and I know guys who, who are uh, I'm not sure I'm a master. They're, they've they've mastered their um their way of harvesting deer or hunting, and I've kind of mastered my way of uh, complete and utter surprise. Virgin sit is what's always worked for me. So you know why mess with the recipe? Um, let somebody else got a way to cook. You know, cook their cake, and I'll I'll cook yeah. mine. So and that's the thing too. I look at it as like just bullshit. You're taking like I mean if. If you're really getting after it and you're like, you're, you're on these deer and you're like surprise attack and you're trying to, you know, I mean, you're, you're hitting, capitalizing on these fresh spots and you're where the deer are and you know, and you know how to find them. Like leave the, the 20 pounds of garbage at home, the giant set of red antlers, grunt tube, ozonics, like all this shit Mm -hmm. that you're, you're, you're bogging yourself down and it's actually going to hinder you being, I think like more. If you got nothing on you but your stand that you got to take down, you're, you'll be way more amped to move your stand over and just get on that deer. Remember that the white tail addictions when we did for XOP that time? I did. That deer was heading out. The one I killed on that video, I, I let out a vocal with my own mouth and like actually grunt. That thing came right in and I killed it because of that. So, like I said, worst case scenario, I don't know. A guy told me he says, "What does it hurt 
if but, it's already beyond so, and it's and, and well here's another thing that's vocals with your mouth but what i've learned movement is so fucking crucial oh, and yeah. people don't realize that so unless you're one of those guys who's got a freaking fishing hat with stuff strapped to it or you got your grunt tube strapped around a choker around your neck like or your antlers those antlers you're picking them up you got to hit them together you got to drop them you got to put them back in your bag you hang them up on your fucking seat and then they start rattling around right. again it is a it is dangerous yeah. like and i know these deer don't have their wits about them at this time of year and they're a little squirrely and i know you're trying to pull deer but Gave you one Move, mic, movement up in a tree is detrimental and it'll kill you. And if you're reaching for a grunt tube, now you had your bow ready to rock and you let out a grunt with your mouth. That was that was strategic. That was a game plan, and that's why it worked out for you. If you would have had to unzip your bag or you would have had to pull your grunt, it might have been right. different. So years ago, um, I did just that. To you know, some friend of mine told me, "No, we're leaving a lot on the table." A lot of guys are rattling a bunch of deer this year. So I went out and, and I learned, here's what I learned about rattling. If you want to rattle in a buck, rattle them in in the morning when it gets to the point, and you better make sure that you can shoot, that it's light enough to shoot, legal hours. And when you lay on those horns, you will have bucks charging from freaking 300 yards around. And what I've noticed, and, and like Cody said, it, it never was, you know, a big bang and shooter. A lot of, uh, you know, 130, 40 class deer, and they would end up right at the base of that stand. Now, middle of day, daylight, you lay on that rattle, that rattling, that buck from that range, he knows exactly where you're at. And if you don't come charging in, um, like they do early, well, man, you got your, you and, got your, uh, your, now, your work cut out for you, brother. And here's a big thing too that people aren't realizing. You lay on those horns, let's say let's say it's 9 o'clock, you lay on those horns, or whatever the hell time it is, and that deer is not dumb. That deer is going to know exactly where those where that antler came from. And that deer is, a big deer, is probably pretty smart. He's probably going to loop that spot. And he might be downwind to you. Like, you don't know what the thermals are doing. He might come up that ridge from the backside. So many of these deer are cracking you, and you didn't even know they were there. They might have ended up coming by you. I've seen deer divert off their travel, just like you did. Like yeah. when that deer got up on his bed, it might. And, and I've seen it happen from natural fights. Like, like, like it wasn't me rattling. It wasn't you rattling. Right. I've seen bucks sparring, and other bucks just not want anything to do with it. So let's say a buck is world class raptor. He's not a big dominant bully buck. Oh. Do you think that a couple of one forties smashing their hands around, he even gives a shit about going over there and doing anything about it? No. So you might be costing yourself yeah. if, you're, if you're at that yeah. caliber. Now, if you just want deer under your, you know, like you said, one some mediocre size, but uh, I'll tell you, there's there's been some deer, you know, that are, are so wound up too that you, you clang your aluminum tree stand together on the way down and they come <laughs> charging. And so when in Rome, and if it's, but it's, it's a, such a it's, small it's, window, yeah, man. It's one of those things where I look at like benefit versus or like risk versus reward, right? So yes, there. Are, I, I have to tell this story now. So. Um, <laughs> I actually, I had, my tag was filled. Buddy of mine asked me to get him in a hunting oh, a, a year prior. And I said, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'll take you out. I had a piece of, I had a 15 acre piece of property that I put this, this, uh, my buddy of mine on. And I'm, it was November 14th. I'm like, um, I'm like, you know, it should be a good time. You know, we went back. I, I set up a spot on the best little pinch on this 15 acres. And I, I gave him a set of, I gave him a set of sheds. <laughs> Just as like a Hail Mary, I'm like, yeah, you know, like come about four o'clock, just smash these things together. We went through a little rattling sequence and then I set him off on his way. 
and I went and I was driving the perimeter of the property, just glassing to see what I could see and, and to capitalize because I was going to get them in a different spot the next day. Like my, my mission was I wanted my I wanted to, my buddy to kill a buck. So um, so he I come back. I had this weird odd feeling, too. I come back at the evening. I'm waiting for him to come back in. He walks up back to the to the cabin there and he looks like he's seen a fucking ghost. I mean, like he is literally white. And like he is like just like sh- like sort of shivering. I'm like, what happened? He's like, dude, I, I seen the hugest deer I've ever seen. You know what? I, I did what you said. I just hit these horns together and like something came crashing through the through the cedars. He's like, and then it was right at the base of the tree, looking around. I, I couldn't get a shot at it. And I'm like, oh my god, at like two yards underneath the dude, base. Of the this tree. thing was under. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is a new hunter. He doesn't know what a. I'm like, he probably seen a good 140. You know, whatever. He's like, well, I got a picture of it, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, pull your pull your phone out right now. Let me see it. Puke. He he shows me the silhouette picture, uh, like you can see the tip of the platform, and I just see this giant cage. Just I mean, like I, you can't even count the points because it's mangled together. And I'm just like, what the fuck were you doing with your phone out, dude? Like you know, you should like wow. why didn't you? He he was rattled. I mean, uh, pun intended. He was rattled. Um, but so what I'm getting at is like, you know, yes, there's that right there. Freak occurrence, that buck came off. That buck was was cruising for does. He heard that. He made a split decision to come in. That can happen. Guys do shoot big bucks, but I'm telling you this. If, you, if, you, if you're beginning your rattling endeavors, be prepared to screw up 10 more opportunities, I think, than you get from rattling. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would and I want to put something out to our customer base, okay? Because I'm here, and you think we can't learn anything? I can learn a lot about rattling. But when I told you about I did an exercise experiment with everything since – rattling, grunting, everything, because I, I don't leave anything on the table. Just wanted to see, you know, learn some things. What I learned back then about that rattling, and maybe somebody who rattles a lot and is successful it can let me know, but I did experiments with sheds and with deer taken off of an actual animal killed, and I rattle in way the whole hell more deer with those antlers that came off. Now, obviously, you're not going to kill your buck and take your good set of antlers. So you don't use the black rack? They're, the black rack, yeah. Or, or just plastic <laughs> or the aluminum ones. But, uh, <laughs> I noticed, so I found a road-killed deer, took the, the sawed the antlers off of that, and the tone must be different or something. It just seemed like they just work way better than a... Uh, a shed antler. So I don't know. If, somebody out there, I'm asking. I, I did. Uh, I'd like to learn. I also heard a theory about size of the antler and I ran, I, I hunted with a guy who literally took 170 inch set sheds with him every day. And I, look at this, look at the size. What are you, you're taking your, you're, you're supposed you're, we're trying to be compact and we're trying to like, like be, but maybe the guy knew something about intimidating uh, maybe, a, a big deer. Yeah, so maybe, um, maybe he did, but I, but to me, that's not worth it. Right. Cause I'd rather get on him. Like I, it, dude, I had a guy it's risk versus reward. Like, I had a guy come on a property. I was hunting once and was on the ground, and he did four different setups. He was running around with a set of rattling horns, yeah. and he, that's all I could think. I didn't think he was an idiot. I thought to myself, this, this guy him. has had some success at this before. <laughs> to be doing what he's doing, he must he must have capitalized. Otherwise, he's just re- – I shouldn't say that word, but uh, yeah. crazy. Well, let so, me yeah. add my perspective in because you guys are well more – way more advanced than I am. So I do carry rattling antlers at times of the year. But I'll tell you, when I made the move on my buck this year, I didn't bring my antlers with. 
I'm not going to sit in there where I know I'm close to his bedding area and smack those suckers together. I'm not going to mess around with that. And that's what I'm getting at. I think antlers is more of a tactic if you're just in a random area and you're trying to pull a random And, and the timing's right again. Sort of, and, and sort of desperation. I, I well, also, I yeah, also, that, that's, that's, you know, I, there's that part of it too. Um, you know, when I first came up too, man, I, I, just like everybody else that came up, I didn't know what end was up and I was, you know, you're getting desperate, you know, nothing, you're, you're experiment with, I'm going to go get this new $30 uh, bottle of dope and this is going to be my magic deal. And I went through it all like everybody else. And I'm telling you, man, it's just, um, there's no real secret to it. Uh, and again, timing's everything. There's times you could rattle with, uh, your, your climbing V bar and bring them in. And there's times that it's going to, like you said, most of the time it's going to cost you an animal. So, um, for sure. Well, <laughs> let me jump to another question here. And I don't know. Do you guys want this to be the last one? Yeah. yeah we're just, we're just yeah. about out of shirts. Yeah. This would be, uh, <laughs> this would be All number right. six. So, okay. This one is, is kind of cool. I'm excited to hear these stories. So Clinton Manning asks, what was the hardest buck you ever chased, and did you close the deal on him? I can. Oh yeah, it's just. Uh, <laughs> you ever see a grown man crying in a tree stand? <laughs> so yeah, well, when I, I ask that it, question through our, our listener, I just get laughter on the other end. So I don't know if that's a positive or negative thing. It wasn't the largest buck, uh, but it was a buck I spotted before season, uh, almost tied into him opening day. Hunted him throughout Wisconsin, you know, four month long season. Uh, was seeing him and came down to the, the last day. And, uh, the buck came out and, and you talk about that wind with a, with a, with a sliver. I mean, this thing knew I was after his ass all year. He stepped out and he checked that wind and I was just shaking in my boots that he was going to get a go against me. And it came out okay. And he's coming down the trail. Uh, and I, dude. He's coming. He's at the tree. I go. I start to draw on him, and I frickin' lock up like a, um, my forearms felt like there were spikes in them. I could not frickin' even move to draw, and I'm, like, literally in tears looking away like, dude, you, this thing is, you know, he's moving through. Pretty soon he's going to be out. This thing's going to walk right by me, and I'm not even going to get on him. And I stopped, literally had enough time to massage one forearm, put the bow in the other forearm, and just as he just about was almost out of range, I got the bow back and delivered and killed him. And that's where I learned about buck fever. Buck fever is the anticipation of that moment. And if it's only a week hunt, imagine if it's a four-month season all built into, uh, I don't even know if you ever heard that story. I literally had tears in my eyes, man. I thought to myself, if this sucker gets by me, I'm going to just hang myself in this tree. Uh, but it was the most rewarding one. It's the only buck in my living room. Uh, scores about 157 gross in the middle of all the other big boys. And that son of a bitch is one that almost almost kicked my tail. So most rewarding, probably. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, that was a good story. Um, what? Thanks for the sarcastic feedback there, Cody. No, yes. no, no. Yeah, great actually, story, Dad. On to mine. I was actually yeah. no, I actually liked the story. I, I've yeah. heard, I have heard it before. Well, um, you heard your uncle, your uncle Nick, that his cams froze up, right? Oh, my well, cams froze up. I couldn't get my bow yeah, back. I, I, yeah, we, we got. Everybody's got one of those uncles. Yeah, but that's um, that's uh, that's the chase. That's the anticipation. Well, well, of buck, buck fever does it, it makes weird things happen where. 
I mean, shit, I got a hundred stories. My buddies, my dad's, it's like, you know, you're sitting in the cold and then the buck you've been waiting on comes through and you go to draw your bow back after you've been sitting still for hours. Like your muscles aren't working how you want them to work, especially when your brain's freaking out. There's a huge tip right there. Cody always laughs at me at how much clothes I wear even early season. The last thing I want to do is get a chill and the, at the moment of <laughs> see and that's and it, man it'll put you into uh that's one um, thing don't get much of it anymore but in years past boy you'd be hard dude, hard to deliver a package you know so that's one thing actually uh, that, that brings up a good point but i get a lot of people don't I, I don't dress in a lot of clothing and a lot of people see like photos that we'll take of the tree stand like oh yeah that was a cool photo like like, oh, but, like, what are you hunting in? And I'm like, no, that's what I'm hunting in. Like, and they're like, oh, but it's cold as shit outside. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm – but a lot of people don't realize I'm I'm out there a couple hours and I'm moving and I'm not – and I've always had the mentality of, like, well, if I was going out for good or for a long – like, I'd have to anticipate and wear more clothes. But that does bring up a good point. There's been, there's, there's been times now. Luckily, I haven't been caught in that situation where I am just – I'm froze to death. And I'm still out there. And I don't know what the hell would happen. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, if it happened. No, but I, but then again, um, I'd like to – no, I remember that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, remember? Excuse me. No. I apologize to our <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm an no, asshole. The, the, uh, <laughs> no, um, I mean, and I've I've had to draw in some pretty cold situations, but that is a good – that's a good tip, though. Uh, wear, you know, wear clothes. But I've – fucked up on deer because i had too much clothes on too well that was early on it was always i mean the game and it, then, it, uh, that's where i i would rather be a little cold because i um now when i get a little older my shoulders in is nimble you know maybe like <laughs> you know i might i might i might uh uh have to worry about the cold a little so bit I, I have been in a, a situation already that i thought to myself why am i even still out here because yeah. I know there's no way I could probably even get a bow back. <laughs> it, it yeah. was like you know, years ago when you're, you know, 10 hours on a stand or something, I wasn't an all-day sitter, but, uh, at, you know, the old seven degrees and humid. Yeah. and um, uphill, could you even, uphill to the stand both ways. That's why I, uh, I shoot a 51-pound <laughs> bow because uh, I can always get that back even when I'm froze to death. So. Yeah, that is one thing I, I will I will say too. Yeah, you, uh, Dad's always shot super lightweight poundages. Um yeah, which is a good tactic. You know, it's a good. It's like risk versus reward too. It's one of those things where, like, well, I guess you know, you can, you can, you can talk about that a lot. But back to this question: Was this this was the most challenging hunt, or was this the most or the the most rewarding? Um, the way he worded it, is Clint, that what it is? Clinton Manning writes: What was the hardest buck you've ever chased, and did you close the deal on him? So okay. I answered that correctly, didn't I? Okay, yeah, you I did. Just wanted to tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't know if we were. Yeah, you answered it right. It, yeah. just, it just so happens, grown, grown men do cry. Well, it just, it just so happens that your most rewarding hunt, yeah, you you ended up. I mean, I had a lot of rewarding hunts, but that was a lot. I mean, that was like a so a cat and mouse. Well, let me see here. We knew about chasing them deer first. Yeah, I you think, don't usually don't get that many opportunities at. Um, so there's never been a buck that you chased that was harder to chase that you never killed than that deer. That was like a more rewarding type of no no hunt. not rewarding he said what's the hardest deer you ever hunted yeah, and hardest you buck it? you've ever chased and did you close the deal well that was the one it took me freaking so you've never hunted a buck that was harder hunt that you didn't get that i didn't get um i'm just yeah i'm just no, asking. I, I just that's that would be the one that was so out my so mind. you ended up getting your hardest hunt ever like that just that's where you're at today 
Um, you shot the deer a, that gave you the most trouble. That was a grueling freaking year, buddy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just, so hey, I'm so just, I got some no, video I'm, footage. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get because uh, I'm thinking of like, like my these most, big deer stories that I've heard from you that that didn't end up on the ground. So I'm thinking oh. like, did you? Was that really the one? We're not. This doesn't have to be a success story. I have mine's a, not a success. So story. I have a uh, here. Just a quick story on a two hundred. I'm gonna cut you off inch, now. Two hundred fifty so inch, not typical. Um, didn't just figured it out. Uh, three days, two days, actually, no, two days to the last day of the season, late season. Finally figured out what the deer is doing. Got in a stand. Got my opportunity at it. And the thing dropped on me, and I blew a shot at 18 yards, the biggest whitetail I've probably ever come in. Uh, so there's a not a grueling season, uh, but a tough nut. I did, you know, I did have a blown disc in my back, just got out of surgery for another one, and I couldn't get higher than 12 feet in the tree. I wasn't even supposed to be out there, but uh, this was a buck, uh, suburban bow hunting only area, and I knew this buck from years ago, and. Um, it was just doing some stuff that was different. Finally figured that out and um, had the opportunity either to, uh, this thing was coming through with kind of a bottleneck. So it um, it spotted me the day before, bugged out, and I had the opportunity to either go back toward the funnel where I knew he was going through for sure or go toward him, get a little bit earlier where he's probably going to change his direction and do it. And I opted for the short sure thing uh he was coming through and i, I just blew it man i just i uh, missed him clean yeah, but how long were you hunting him i wasn't hunting that i was hearing about him from the farmer so yeah other guys not really a tough hunt like, no but that's what i'm saying it wasn't it, it's a tough one to freaking swallow that it's uh, a mental yeah. mental toughness yeah. easy shot right. but I mean, here's what was tough about it i award you no points to the story <laughs> the, the landowner kept telling us about this deer other inexperienced hunters on neighbor's ground told us about this deer and we did not believe this deer was real uh, and then we finally um, <laughs> realized it was, it wasn't a ghost. All right. No, I just, I, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't really on topic, but well, a thought, good story. I, I thought the first one was um, Yeah, the first one was. I, I thought it was great, Andre. I thought it was great. I just want to, anyway, all right. Uh, I'll just, I'll get to mine. So Why mine, do you think that dink is in the river? Mine wasn't a success. <laughs> yes, but I'm just saying like from all, you've been hunting a long time. Yeah. Like a long time. And I just. I just, I find it, I feel like there's, there's might be hunts that were harder for you that you never got the deer because like it was that hard. Kurt, did anyone tell him I always get my deer? And I, <laughs> That's what I heard, man. Clinton, yeah, thank right. you for submitting this question, man. It's going over really well. All right. Okay. All right. You get two shirts. Right. Yeah. You get two shirts. Well, you get a shirt and a see, tank top. I, well, I'm just, see, I'm, I'm just a mediocre hunter. So like, I don't always get my deer. Um, uh, I'm actually not even that good of a hunter. I'm just persistent. That, yeah. that, that's literally what it is. I'm just a persistent person. Um, not a good hunter. But anyway. You can tell so by your abs. Deer, yeah. I wouldn't want him chasing me around the woods. Let's so, put it that way. So this deer, <laughs> the deer that was the toughest hunt for me, I didn't get. But I, And this, I feel like I'm a broken record saying this because I've said it before, but I've learned the most hunting that season that I ever did. But that deer, and I think it's purely down to this point, that deer got my wind early on. Wow. And I think I, I am a hundred percent. I believe that he got my wind. Like, and I think and I preached this to a lot of people after this season. And this was years ago, but I think in this certain circumstance, 
when a deer not like so deer you get winded all the time right and deer get your wind but when a deer gets your wind and then associates that wind with that scent with danger mm-hmm. you're, you're you're screwed and what had happened is he actually cracked me in the tree trying to get a shot off at him after he winded me so this deer smelt me knew something was up wasn't sure and then he pinned me in the tree and was like oh shit like there's somebody after me right now and that stuck in his head so from that day on that deer would cut my track like a mile away from me and bug out like like i knew he would he smelled my scent he was gone that's a tough one and and there was one situation and this was this was the year i learned the most about thermals and this was down on this um it's this this service road that's in the far corner of this property and it's a hellhole there's an old dump site and there's a, a huge treacherous ravine and there's bluffs that are five, six stories down there. Like it, it, it's very bluffy and very nasty and the thermals are, are a pain in the ass. But so I set up, I finally had this deer pinned down. I, after chasing around for, for, uh, you know, over a month, um, I figured out where he was coming through and I set the stand and I was right in the right spot. And, he comes down and everything was right. I was calm, cool, collected. I knew it was finally going to happen. And this deer, like right, you know, maybe about five yards out of my shooting lane, he caught my wind and I knew. And then after the fact, I dropped some milkweed and I realized that there was a giant updraft coming up this draw and he actually busted me before he got to my my um my shooting lane. But I never killed that deer. I spent the rest of the season being two steps behind him because I just couldn't, I couldn't outsmart him. I, I, at where he was at, I couldn't get to, um, like to get him at his bed and just, he knew me. So like, no, yeah. So that was the, that was the toughest. Um, like, yeah, so I don't know if, if Curter experienced that, but you're, you're right. When that, I've experienced that many times when they get, when they associate your scent with danger and it's a big mature deer, man, you just think what you're up against. Yeah, yeah. Now you got, remember I talked about I talk about a surprise attack. There's no surprise attack anymore. This deer knows yeah. you and, are coming for him. So. And there's, there's so many times, there's so many times you see like somebody hunting a deer and then some random person shooting it. Like, like, I mean, I've seen actually like, um, uh, these deer slip up, you know, making moves on, you know, scent that they know. And you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm getting at. Like I've deer, can cut your track. I've been, I've watched deer on just random pieces of ground that I've scouted, cut my tracks, sm- smell it, you know, kind of, yeah, they're, they're trying to figure out what it is. It's not known to them, but like you ever seen a coyote cut your track? Yeah. That's yeah. what these, deer, that's what these deer, like that coyote knows like, Oh shit. Like, coyote, are re- they, they react on like the drop of a dime too. When they cut away. And that's, that's what this deer was doing every time it got my scent, and I knew it. And it was just, it was in those. those Here's a perfect smart, example man. of that. So I, I shaved the belly of a big one out of a tree, came back weeks later, and thought I was going to kill that deer on that same tree. That son of a bitch cracked me, freaking in a cold. He knew that was a danger zone, and I should have never yeah. been in that same tree. I should have been in another one. So mm-hmm. um, when it gets to that point, eh, it gets pretty tough. Um, well, co- and that kind of brings me back to. What you were talking about, Cody, where that deer like knew your scent and then like kind of associated that scent with you or danger, whatever. Um, that's the buck I called creepy, the one that we talked about earlier where I made the move. He had winded me the week prior, well, about a week and a half prior, Dude. winded me, 
and he went off and blew and busted me. And I thought in my head, as I'm in the stand, I'm like, well, fuck, like the neighbors are going to kill him now. So I kind of, I backed out for a second trying to like gather myself. Well, then I had a trail camera picture of him and I knew he was doing something. So that's when I made my move and killed him the following day out of the 1.0, like out of a straight up hanging hunt. Um, so I got lucky that I got in, um, a little bit of luck that I got the tip of where he was at, but I made the move and had the ambition to go in and hang and hunt and kill him. Um, yeah, you know, got but that, that week and a half prior when he busted me, that sinking feeling in my head, in my heart a little bit was just like, man, am I going to see this deer again? Because any, any quartering wind that I was going to try and get on to kill him, if he caught a sliver of that wind and he already knows what I smell like, it's game over for me. So my odds went way down after that that sit where he had busted me. So I was, I thought I was out. I thought I was out of the the game after that. There's, yeah. a, there's a flip side to that too. Do you ever well, have a deer mark? Over you, knowing that you were in a stand and then yeah. rip your the tree up like we're, yeah, it, but that's, just to let you know that. But most of the time, he's smart enough. He's doing yeah. it when you're not there, right? Yeah, know? he's, he's freaking jacking with you. The thing is, like, I think there's 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 that circumstance list is very deep because I got into a two hour conversation with like literally two hours alone with a guy at show the last show Iowa show. He was a good dude, but we started talking about that, and he's like, do you, he asked me, he said, do you really think that's a thing? And I said, oh, I know it's a thing. And he's like, well, he's like, well, what about when you're out there walking and you're, and you're spooking? And I said, it's totally different. Like there's, there's a circumstance, there's a circumstance to that. And even honestly, Kurt, if a deer blows at you, it's one thing, but like the way in which they crack you and like it, there's, ah, man, it's one of these things. Well, I'll I'll add to this, Cody, this buck was coming to me. What happened was I had a smaller buck circle around behind me and then the, the buck that I ended up killing saw that buck and then went to cut a different way and then saw me in the stand trying to make a move on him. I was trying to get my oh, shot yeah. on him. So he See, saw now, me and winded me and then busted well, me. Here, here's the thing. I don't think he winded you. I think he's seen you. What he's talking about. So imagine yeah. this. I'm going to tell you. Here's a quick story from years ago coming out of the woods in the dark in October. And somebody was hunting late and drew on me back when we had the old aluminum arrows. The sound of that aluminum arrow going across the rest, I flipped my light on, freaking yelled, hey, hunt, you know, if a buck has that feeling, you're in a close encounter, you ain't ever getting there again, because I'll tell you what, I used the light for the rest of that season coming in and out of the woods, because uh, and scared I, the living hell out of you, you know? No and shit, it, man, that's crazy. Well, just think of a deer now, if a deer got that experience with you, man, it's going to be a tough nut to get another Dude, crack at yeah, that deer. If you really, so there was actually a deer, that, and I think it's a combination it's got to be – it's not just sight because, like, a, a deer can visually crack you. Like, that deer you were talking about, Dad, like, that deer, I believe, visually visually associated that spot. I don't think he yeah. really – he didn't wind you because your wind is right, right? Right. You know, so you got the sight factor, and then you got wind. Big bucks wind you all the time. You're getting busted every fucking day. I, I promise you that. Not every day, but That's you're getting – That's why bu- you got to be in a new spot. Ex- ex- exactly. That's you're a good busted. point. <laughs> You're getting busted all the time. So these deer will, they tolerate that. They know there's a bunch of scents out there. But when that deer gets caught in a situation like that, like when you screw up, like, like when I shot, like this deer was so close when he cracked me too. And it was the combination of the swirling wind, the scent, the, the me and the tree spotting me. It's, it's, it's one of the, it takes more to solidify that, like that bond of danger than just smelling you. 
Because if a buck cuts your track, he's not going to avoid your track forever. Because you know how many tracks a buck cuts? Well, he lives there, and you're there, so he's going to have to deal with you. Exactly. Back to the old adage, you know, you see these deer come out. uh, And I used to hunt the leases in Illinois. These big deer come out on a field edge, and I had video of them. They looked like the the, the look on their face was like, where the hell is this guy tonight? I know he's in here freaking hunting me. Yeah. You know, but I'm in a different spot every freaking time. So, um. Yeah, it's, yeah, you don't want to get one avoiding you. Know, you'd rather have a, a your complete version sit on them and... because because when them 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 they know their game, man, and it's hard to it's it just makes it that much harder. I mean, it, for but sure. it I don't know, man. It just well, let me ask. And this, when you so can, I think we we got a good fair amount of questions. I want to ask a question because it's something I'm curious about. It's I love these type of uh, podcasts where you can dive deep just at at every random angle. You know, um, here's my question to you two because for me it depends on the situation, depends on the year, depends on the deer. Do you guys get buck fever still to this day? And if you do, do you get it before or after the shot? Yeah. Uh, I just I just want to make a note here to make sure I don't let you know you're not getting a t-shirt for this question. <laughs> I already got one. I'm wearing a hoodie. Okay. Um, again, for it's been a long time since I've got buck fever. Uh, I think the last one I got that startled me was that uh, flyer buck. And, and once he startled me one day, I just got pissed off. And in two days, he was on the ground. Um <laughs> I normally would get a little nervous after a shot, but on the uh, uh, the tuning fork buck, I literally thought my whole career and in, in, um, fascination with whitetail hunting was over because I shot that buck. Heartbeat never went up at all. Retrieved it, took the footage for the show, put it in the back of the truck, and never even acknowledged it was any excitement at all. Uh, I was out of my way out of the property. It was in the back. The tailgate was down. And I, I think I told you the story where I plugged in some green day and I looked back in the rear view mirror and seen that cage and, and the heat and excitement and the high just came over me. And it was like a delayed, uh, response to it. Wow. Uh, that's interesting. So I, I got it back for a little bit, you know, and then, um, and now it's like, um, you know, I don't know. It's it, I don't have the excitement or the thing that I. I that's an interesting. That's an interesting delve on that topic. But that's not buck fever. That that's that's like a delay. Like, like you um, said, excite, that's just like that's accomplishment excitement. Yeah, accomplishment. Like yeah. I mean, like in the I always stand. equate it to. Uh, can I equate this to drugs or not? Is that not kosher? Sure. You know how fine. they always say. You know yeah, how they yeah. say a heroin addict is always chasing his first high. Yeah. You're never gonna get your first high with bow hunting. But you chase it your whole life, and when you get old and burnt out, and, and there's not even that that thing to chase anymore, it's a tough it's a tough road, man, in a guy's career. To uh, when your whole life revolved around all of this, and now there's not a light a lot that excites you. Um, you know, it's like your 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 whole world's getting just you know it's getting, it's getting blown by it. So I don't want to get too deep on it, but um, that's my experience with that. So I don't know, Cody. You... Actually, yeah, I mean that's and that's and that's a cool. I think that's a cool way to look at it because in a way, and I mean, it, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think, yeah, there's, there, but then again, I think it's, it's, it's personality and it's, it's what you're looking to get out of the sport too. And what you're doing, like some people are just, uh, you know, I guess happy out there doing whatever, but I can't think of a, 
I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, the first. The, I have, remember when you the, shot your first Pope and Young? I was in the tree with you. Yeah, in the first, you're never gonna get that high back. Well, or that that's what I'm saying. Like I, I don't think. I think that's the ultimate because that is were, what hooks you. You were stoked. That was it, man. Yeah, that that's what hooked you. You know, um, he looked up at me and he said, "Man, I got this." He just there and then figured it out on that deer, and ever since then, it was nothing but neck. And also, um, I would take everything I got, and I've said it a million times to a million guys: everything I got on this wall, I would get rid of and throw right in the garbage to get back the first year that I bow hunted. Um, to this day, I mean, the smell of a skunk freaking fires me up and excites me about all those old feelings and that. Um, they come back to you, and, and you're chasing that first eye. It's just, it's something you know you're probably never going to get back, but you, yeah. but you keep chasing it. So. I mean, that's interesting. From I know you guys fairly well now at this point, and I, and you guys kind of still hold that still a little bit of that like first impression that I I've got of you guys when I met you is you guys. It, don't take this uh, the wrong way, but you guys kind of come off a little. Um, God, this sounds bad, so don't be offended. But fuck it, you you guys come off a little cold, and, and I don't mean and, and not cold as in like you guys. It takes a lot to affect your emotion. Um, you guys seem very sturdy emotionally, so that's why I remember we podcasted over a year ago now at the Ohio Deer Classic. Cody, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you, uh, yeah. Byron was on the podcast. I said, "Hey, what buck? What caliber of buck could bring you to tears or close to tears of tears of joy?" And you, do you remember your answer? I, I might, but I don't want to. I, I know you remember it, so I'm gonna let you. Well, I remember it because Byron fist pumped me after I asked the yeah. question. He was like, "Damn, good question!" Like it just led us on a good topic. Is you said it would take a ton. If anything could do it, it'd be that upper nineties typical. If and if that might not even do it. Um, and I don't remember it word for word, but it was something to that nature. Um, I mean, is there a deer on this planet that could bring one of you guys to tears? Because for me, it wouldn't take a whole lot. Like. I for me, bow hunting is a very emotional game, and I, I'll be the first dude to admit it. Like, I get emotional over that stuff. I that's I base my life, and hunting keeps me on the right track track in my life. Like, I think I'd be a troubled person if I didn't have it. it well, and there's there's a different way to look at that, and like I think everybody's got their own their own thing, and there, and I think how you come into hunting, how you've like your time in the woods, and what you take from it, and one thing for me, like, like growing up how I did surrounded by giant deer and having a dad, uh, father, whatever you want to call it, who was literally obsessed with giant typical deer. It was just always something that like, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't even like typicals. Maybe it's just been in, ingrained into my head that much, but it's like, that's just been the Holy grail to me is like, cause I know your life's mission has been pretty much to kill a, a like a, a new world record, which yeah. is a 205 typical and, and change, yeah. something. So like, that's something that I always like attribute to was like the top. Like I'm thinking, okay, well if fuck, if, if that's, if that's what dad's chasing, that's gotta be like what, yeah. it, what it is. So, I mean, I don't know. So that's why that's so, my answer, but dad, you know, you might have, I've, I've been in a game with two, two bucks that I think would beat, uh, Mel's fricking record there in Illinois. And I failed. I mean, I've, I've been in that game and to, to, to have an opportunity at two that I think that would have netted over that thing in a lifetime is a lotto for me to think 
that it could ever happen again. I mean, you talk about a needle in a haystack. I just was talking about this with somebody. This ain't even genetics lining up. This ain't um, uh, total luck. This is stars having to line up for you to be in the game with that caliber. I mean, how does that even happen? You know, there might be one or two of those every year in the United States in different States. Um, yeah. So, but you never know, you know, you keep striving for it. One shows up, I'd, you know, I'll definitely give it a run for the money, but um, I've kind of uh, figured that, that, that is, that is sailed. And I probably won't ever get that opportunity. Uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, somebody I know getting that opportunity. For sure. Very cool. Very cool. Well, boys, I think we, man, we covered a ton on this. I, I had a ton of fun on this podcast. What do you guys think? Yeah. As long as you hit the record button on this, yeah. we're, we're in good oh, shape. Oh, shit, I forgot. <laughs> Damn it. That's something I no, would do. Oh, we're good. Um, and thanks to the customers for those questions. I, I love to, uh, to answer those. Um, um, I wish there was somebody around to answer some of mine years ago, so. Yeah, if you, that's actually an interesting point, man. If you look at, just look at today's day and age, like with podcasts and internet and man, t- take it back to, take it back to 89 wow. fucking, or I mean, you know, take Barbaric, a, man. T- take a, uh, <laughs> even a trip. Honestly, Kurt, even like, you know, we're not that old, but if you, if you take, take it back 10 years, this bastard's old. I mean, like, yeah. it, you know, take it back 15 years, take it back to when we started hunting, um, I mean, or, you know, when we got involved VHS, in VHS, man, uh, that doesn't seem like a big deal now, but. Take it back to when you could shoot a bull at 20 yards and actually have a six-inch arc and shoot over the top of a limb and drop it down <laughs> in a deer. <laughs> Those days are gone. Yeah. yeah. That's how slow they were to compounds back then. Yeah. It, yeah. It's messed up to think, Cody, that we look at, uh, no offense, Andre, but, like, you're an OG of the industry. You know, you're an original uh, a pioneer in this game. You know, there's – and I guess – when you're all old and decrepit and can't do it anymore, and then we're the next old dudes, like there's going to be cats behind us thinking that me and Cody are washed up and they've been doing the stupid podcast since 2020, 2019. What the hell? They're old. They're, they're old news. So what will what will you associate your uh, uh, your first hunt with? Uh, like I mentioned, mine was uh, skunk. Back then, everybody used skunk as a cover scent, so that smell brings back good memories of my first hunting. Is it the experience you said your dad took you out? Was it um, uh, what? What is your first high per se with the deer hunting? My me for me, uh, yeah you. Man, it. I started so I I didn't start bow hunting right out the gate. I, I think it would have to be a little bit of um, man. That's a tough question. That's a that's a layered one for me. It more probably just like on the uh, the emotional feel of like going out with my dad when I was a youngster, man, and like didn't have any idea and just like laying on a hill, hillside in a camo sleeping bag, like just hoping for the unknown of a big buck that I watched on a VHS tape when I was young, man. Like, and you knew, you knew at that time, this was going to be something that you would probably do the rest of your life. Then that, that it was that much of a thrill to you. Yeah, I think so. Cause I got so into it so young and I really had no reason why I did, you know, like I just, for some reason I felt like it just drew to my, I guess, my soul a little bit. And then, like, my dad was into it just the same way. Yeah. So then I just felt like there was no turning back. And then a- a year after year, especially once I, I asked for my first bow for Christmas, and I thought it was a stretch to ask for one, and then just getting into it and then killing my <laughs> – I hunted three years with a gun, only shotgun hunting in Illinois, never killed anything. My second day bow hunting, I killed my first deer, and then I just knew, like, that that was my thing. It was my, my – So niche. that was probably a dare to start up. 
that was a very good question. Um, that, that was that was deep. Yeah, I uh, like it a lot. I'll give you some props. It's Cody. You want to elaborate on that? Or? It, man, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't know. Are you asking me? Is that yeah, what you're yeah. Um, I think I know what it was, but um, no, I think you'd be surprised. So, mine actually isn't. I don't think it. I don't think it's actually has anything to do with hunting per se. It, so what what drives me is is actually like you know you smell skunk, and when I hear John Denver, I just think of like these old times like not hunting, but oh. I was like I was like taken in this old little Toyota pickup that Dad had like out to the farm to or to this property that he had to like put corn out for deer like every night after dinner it was like we'd go glassing and dude I'm telling you so right now it, huh? Dad only owned two fucking set tapes it john one and one was john denver's greatest hits and the other one was the eagles and those two tapes were the only two tapes in the little truck and you they wore them out brother and and yeah and we wore them the hell out that's for sure and and when that's they cool. you know you, you'd pop it out flip it to the other side and then when they got so wore out like ma would just get them a new one and it was the same tape so i think early on like it was just something that like it was something that we always did, and I knew, like, I knew we were out looking for deer. I didn't know, like, what, like, I didn't understand it back then, but. Well, see, I didn't have that, so I, that's why I asked you guys. Uh, uh, I didn't have a, a dad that hunted. I took up a lot of stuff on my own, so I was just curious what the, um, you know, that's a big part of it. When I started fishing, same thing. I had an uncle that did and, and, and did some stuff with him, so that was a, a good experience, but. Yeah. Uh, well, well, think about now I didn't with, know that, so. with kids that are, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm just assuming guys kids that are between the ages of i don't know 10 and whatever you know high school college whatever or when they start listening to like podcasts now like this podcast working class whatever podcast could be um one of those things that brings people back to what got them into hunting which is crazy to think about right now but um but Cody, I do like how you bring that up because it's like those little things that Andre you probably never thought about those two cassette no. tapes until he said that no um, but that, that's also why, like, I know Cody and I, we've had a lot of like deep conversations about hunting and the, the community and things that surround hunting. And I take a lot of things personally because hunting to me is such a, a deep rooted, like mental and an emotional thing for me. So there's certain things that I believe in so hard that like nothing can steer me off of it. Like it, you know, disrespect to whitetails and stuff like that is a big, big deal to me. I, I, I take it very personally, and um, it bothers me to a deep level when I see people that don't respect them in a way that I do. I, I think because of because of whitetails, you know, that's the centerpiece of this whole thing, has really routed me to be a better person in the long run, and has honestly probably kept me out of trouble for a lot of my youth when I was a reckless BMX kid. Um, mm -hmm. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's what I got to direct it to. Well, we were out looking for sheds just the other day, and I came up on uh, in a ravine out of the wind. Uh, snow was uh, or, or last week when all the thaw was coming, and you could hear. I, I just took a couple clips of a, uh, the sound of a crick, and it brought back the memory of when you were a kid uh, in the spring, ready to go fishing and stuff. So those things are those are rock solid, you know. And it's uh, I just remember thinking, man, it's been a great freaking life. And and uh, anybody who's not in it and has missed this, I can't see the guys in the city. I don't understand all that. I grew up in a city. Um, it's man, it's a great way of life. Uh, I take For every sure. kid, every chance I had. Every, all my grandkids are going to be 
Uh, we were just out looking around, um, you know, looking for sheds the other day, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna all be in this have the same same crack at it that we had. So it's very cool. Well, boys, what do you think? Should we close her out? Sounds yeah. good. I think that's a to good. Let's get some addresses, get some sizes, and let's get some of these uh, these questions that were answered. Uh, we appreciate it. That's uh, there were some and the good questions, good good topics. I think. Yeah, every and like we said before, every few episodes, um, you know, we're gonna kind of circle back and do one of these one of these type where we just kind of dive into listeners' questions and and. And answer some of the stuff that you guys directly want to hear and specific uh and then Kurt mentioned too that we're we're probably gonna try and have a, a format where we're literally letting everybody know what we are doing as deer hunters at all the different times of year, right out throughout the spring, summer, and right into the fall, right? That's so a little bit of that'll be touched upon, everyone. I, I think so, man. I think once this whole virus bullshit fades out and and hopefully everybody makes it out okay, that you know, we can dive in and get back together in person and do the video series and and cool. and chip away on a mission with this podcast to help people. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and don't forget, um, Pocket Arms now available. Uh, any of the products you want to go check it out. Uh, www.lonewolfcustomgear.com. And um, I think you guys are going to be really excited with the quality of stuff this year. We're um, we're really uh, working hard to um, to get this stuff up and running. And uh, hopefully, like you said, this. This virus thing will be out in plenty of time where we can get our stuff and get our equipment, get ready to go. And um, that's what we're doing now. You know, I'm, this is, I've never gone out and set up tree stands for, um, there's a couple of spots I've always wanted to hunt. I'm going to go out now and I'm going to, I'm going to trim them up and just get them ready to go and clean out some spots now, even this early. So, um, for sure. Well, then I guess my closing is don't remember that, or don't remember, do remember that the stand is called the DS.5. Not the 2.0. Yeah. yeah. And um, I got to ask this because we plug it on the working class one. So if I'm throwing myself under the bus, I apologize. Does the code WCB work on the pocket arm? Yeah. Yep. All right. The code, yep, the code WCB works on anything on the custom gear website. Okay. There's a little bit of incentive to get on there and make your – hey, that stimulus package is hitting. You know, what are you going to do with it? You're still working. Yeah. You got to make a purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Get some of that free money. Money <laughs> <That ain't> free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pe- people that are laid off, I feel for you. So hang in there. Hang in there. Um, all right. Well, I'm going right. to cl- I'm gonna close it out with go shoot your bow in working class fashion so I don't have to howl. And I'll let Cody and Andre close it out. <laughs> However. I will not pick up my bow till next fall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably legit. Um, yeah, man. Go out there and find some, uh, find some tiny sheds. Mm-hmm.